Greetings to each one this evening. In Jesus' name, it's a pleasure to be here. I thought, you know, maybe I was shaking because of nerves, and then I got to thinking it might have been Jonathan's coffee. So I was like, I'll, I'll take it as that. If you're here this week and you're thinking to yourself, how did Dave know that that's what I was struggling with? I'm here to share a little secret with you. You're unique just like everybody else. Have you ever thought about that? You think, a lot of times we think our struggles are our own. We're the only one that's going through this. No one else has had to face what I've had to face. But as human beings, our same basic struggles are across the board, from church to church, from generation to generation. They, history repeats itself, and we don't learn well from history, but it does. So if we look at mankind as, well, they struggled with this a thousand years ago. We're struggling with it today. So it's no great mystery. Now, I don't know all the circumstances behind why you may be struggling with what you're struggling with, what circumstances in, surrounded why you struggle with what you struggle with. But the struggle is not unique to yourself. You're not alone in it. So often the devil says, you're the only one that's had to face that. You're the only one that's had to deal with that. And so you're some kind of weirdo. And if, if you don't do something about that struggle, at least no one will know about it. Right? It doesn't have to come out into the open. A couple of months ago, I thought I'd discovered a divine truth in the scriptures, and I thought it was almost uniquely my own. And then I was listening to a friend of mine as he preached revival uh, service at our home congregation. I was re-listening to the revival message, and I noticed that brother said the exact same thing several times that had been revealed to me a month afterwards. <laughs> And he had repeatedly said it during revivals. And I said, how did I miss that? He, he kept saying it. And it wasn't that I didn't know it. It was that it finally clicked. Have you ever had that? Where you've read something over and over again, and then all of a sudden it became real to you. And you're like, wow. And I think it had become real to that brother. Now, I'm not even going to share what that is. But I'm hoping that whatever it is that speaks to you, maybe certain things will click. And different things click with different people. Something, it's the way the Spirit works. I didn't have anything for the ladies in tonight's message. But that's not the way the Spirit works. The, the Spirit could convict you of something. I'm not uh, di diminishing the power of the Spirit. But my primary focus this evening is for us as men. As us for leaders in the home. I also preached about prayer in our church. And in that sermon I told the congregation, I said... I don't want you to come up to me after the service and say, well, Dave, you, got, you gave me a lot to think about. Because that's what so often I get. I get to the back and someone comes up and, Dave, you got me a lot to think about. Well, if you're not praying like you ought to pray, I hope I gave you a lot to do, not just to think about. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. So we have good intentions. Well, I'm going to pray. So we have internet accountability, right? We just came through a new quarter. We're accountable with our internet partners. Maybe we need prayer accountability. And so I thought I'd do that with you this evening. Did God meet you in that spot that you told him that you were going to be at today? And was he, or is he still there waiting for you? And he's still waiting for you to come and, and kneel down before him and share your heart with him and, and speak to him. Oh, you got busy. Was, were you busy just like yesterday? Were you busy like the day before? Nothing's changed. If, you, if I just gave you a lot to think about, what's it going to do? 
But if I gave you something to do, and then there can be change. And with change, there can be growth. And so that's what we need. Let's not just say, well, you gave me a lot to think about. Now there's a man in our church that when I get to the back after preaching the sermon, he wraps his arm around me and says, Brother Dave, you gave me a lot to think about. <laughs> and sometimes I want to smack him. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I'm hoping he's really listening. The theme is wake up, right? That's my theme for this whole week. Leaders, wake up. Let's say our theme verses, Ephesians 5, 14 through 16. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. The title of tonight's message is, If the Foundations Be Destroyed. But that's not where I'm going to start. The verse that came to me was 1 Peter 4, 17. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? If judgment were to begin today within our churches, how would it go? Would we be faithful, or would we be found wanting? When I thought about revivals, I believe it's imperative that they are, they are bathed in prayer, and that we've come with open hearts before the Lord. But I also think that I wonder sometimes, where does revival begin, and where should revival begin? And I think those are two different places. Where revival often begins is those that are sensitive to the truth, those are, that are sensitive to the voice of the Spirit, those who under the sound of the gospel, hear something, believe it, and it convicts them, they repent, and they make amends. You know who that normally is? That's normally our young people. Our, most times in revival meetings, the young people are much more responsive than the older people. We saw that last night. Praise the Lord. But is that where it should begin? I think revival must begin with us as men with us as leaders in the home, as fathers, as ministers of the gospel. This is not revival from the top down, but revival from the bottom up. Our wives, our children, our youth need a solid foundation on which to build upon, and that's us. We're supposed to be their example to follow after. You want them to follow in your footsteps? Do you want to follow in what you've done and where you're leading? You know, we expect honesty among our membership, but it must begin with the leadership. If we're not honest, will our members be honest too? We say, well, why isn't that young man honest on his accountability card? Are we being honest with one another? Does the laity in the church know that you have temptations? Do they know what temptations they are? Have you ever failed? Does anyone know about it? Or did you just confess it between you and God? I've heard preachers preach over the pulpit that they've made mistakes. You've heard that too, right? Your preacher's probably admitting to making mistakes. Do you know what those mistakes look like? Sometimes we, don't, we wouldn't know that a preacher ever made a mistake other than for communion they said, well, without the forgiveness of God, I wouldn't have peace before you this morning. 
What did God forgive you of? Was it pride? Was it lust? Was it anger? Was it bitterness? Was it selfishness? What was it? Do your people know? I was thinking about my own life. Give you an example of something I didn't do so well in. Um, I was, this was a month or two ago, maybe two months ago. I was, I listened to the news and I, the current events that were happening and a song that I used to listen to came into my mind. And I said, that song was rather prophetic. And with the technology that we have today, it's pretty easy to find a song, right? You can just look it up, Pandora or somewhere. You can look it up and you could listen to that song. So I looked that song up and I listened to it. And it wasn't central. It wasn't, but the beat was wrong. It was some of my old music that I used to listen to. And then it went to the next song. And then I felt convicted. I'm like, why am I doing this? I said, I've put my hand to the plow. I don't want to look back. I don't want to go down the same path that I went down as a youth. And, and here I am, supposed to be a minister of the gospel, and I'm being tempted by my old music? It's like, how pathetic. And so in Sunday school class, I told the men about it. I said, you know, I failed. I feel like, why did I do that? You know, I don't, I don't want to go back. And, and I asked for forgiveness and I asked, keep me accountable. Are, are your members in the church willing to keep you accountable? Or do they, they don't even know you're struggling? Maybe I'm the only one with temptations. Do you all have temptations? Do you all face things in your life as men? Or, or am I the only one? I, you know, I was like, well, some of these temptations, I should already be past. Another example, I was at the neighbor's house about a year ago. I was at one of my neighbor's houses and needed some paper signed. And the man was in the garage, and I went to say hi to him. And his garage was filled with immodest pictures that he had got from somewhere. I don't know. It was awful. And so I don't think I lust it or anything, but I knew they were there. The other day I had to go back and I needed to get some more papers signed. And the garage doors open and no one's at home. And no one would have to know if I went and looked into that garage, right? I wouldn't even have to be, I wouldn't have to written anything on my internet accountability card. I wouldn't have had to tell anyone about it. I could have went in and fulfilled the lust of my flesh. But thanks be to God, I did not. Because, <laughs> but it was a temptation. I had to say, God, I don't want to go back. I don't want to do those things. That is not what I want. But I deal with temptation. I'll be honest with you. And I tell our young men, I deal with temptation. I want to be accountable to you. We must be accountable one to another. It's not, oh, I'm accountable to the other minister brothers. I'm accounted to Hans Lehman as much as I'm accountable to Bradley. You know, I want to be accountable to... to each of you were members one of another. I had a brother come up to me and he said, well, he had an accountability partner that was a minister. And he said, Dave, it's a one-way street. He said, the minister never struggles with anything. And so I just tell him what I struggle with. Is that how it goes? <laughs> I wonder. Mutual accountability is critical. Colossians 3 Colossians 3, verse 8, But now 
ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Filthy communication out of your mouth. What do you laugh at? What does you and men laugh at? I think it reveals what's in our heart what we laugh at sometimes. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. This evening I'm not preaching to Davy or Daryl or Jonathan or Robert. I'm here to talk to us as men. We're, we're leaders within the home. There's leaders within the youth group. There's leaders. There, it, it goes the whole gamut. There's people following you. There's people looking up to you. There's people that are looking to you for an example. How are we doing? Do the ones we're responsible for have a solid foundation on which to build? The very word responsibility invokes fear in some men that call themselves leaders. Especially when it takes is taking responsibility when things have went horribly wrong. Do you ever think about that? Everyone wants to take responsibility when things are going good because it makes them look good, right? But what about when things are going wrong? Who caused that? Well, that wasn't my fault. That was someone else's fault. In the recent past, I've heard at least two instances of messages preached across our pulpits in the conference that they say, well, the word leader is not in the New Testament. Why are they preaching that? What, what's the point of it? Are they helping? There's no point in that. The word leader is not used in the New Testament to refer to leaders in the church. Does that mean they're not necessary? Does that mean that we no longer need leaders? No. The Bible's full of examples of leadership, examples of ministers, examples of, oh, the key word, shepherds. They want shepherds. Many prefer the word shepherd. Are you aware of what a shepherd does? He leads his sheep. I've heard it said in the same, the same sentence. Leaders not used in the New Testament, but the man must be a shepherd and willing to lead his people. Well, there you go. It was said in the same sentence. You must lead. It's, it's what God has called us to do. He corrects his sheep. A good shepherd loves his sheep. He doesn't chase them around. He leads by example. He does what's right. He shares when he falls. He shares his temptations so they know that, you know, they can come to him and say, well, you, you're a man as well? He leads them to the word where they can be refreshed. I believe the idea that leadership is a negative thing is a new idea that needs to be put to rest. The story is told of a hunter. He was and a guide that was over in Africa. And as they were hunting, they shot a Cape Buffalo. And the hunter and the guide, they went over to the Cape Buffalo, and the guide said, look at this magnificent animal that we shot. Isn't it gorgeous? And they took pictures with it, and the guide, you know, held the gun, and, you know, they took nice pictures. And a little while later, they, they shot an elephant. Same thing, the guide gets over there and props it all up, and maybe even puts his logo out there, you know, professional guide service. Look at this wonderful animal that we shot. Well, later in the day, as the sun was setting, something was creeping through the bushes, and, and the hunter shot that too. And they went over there, and you know what he shot? He shot a man. And the guide said, look at this man that you shot. And, and he's like, wait a second. 
I shot the Cape Buffalo, and you said, we. You shot the elephant, and we, you said, we. And now I shoot a man, and you say, me? You're blaming me? You're the guide. You should have told me not to shoot. But that's how it is. When things go horribly wrong, we no longer want to take responsibility. Your children are behaving. They're saying, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. They're looking like little angels, and someone's patting you on the back and said, how did you do it? And they're, oh, these are my children. Then you, then you get to Costco, and you're pulling the screaming, kicking child out of the Jeep, and your wife's hiding a couple hours down, and you're like, I don't know who these children are. I'm just trying to help out society. You know? <laughs> We don't want to take responsibility suddenly. What happened? They're a product of their parent, right? Where'd they learn that from? I saw ministers within the church that seems like they had a, maybe a need for recognition. Something that behind the scenes, maybe not a whole lot's going on, but if there's anything that's going on in front, uh, they're always there. And then you try to get something done behind the scenes, and it's like pulling teeth. Matthew 23, 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but be, ne be ye not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all are ye your brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be you called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be the servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. They love the title while disregarding the office. That's a shame. Let us not be that kind of leader. Preaching things that they themselves aren't willing to uphold. They lay heavy burdens on people, and they're not even keeping them themselves. Don't do that. Don't be a, a I built a house or helped build a house in Louisiana that someone in an office somewhere in some college degree designed. It doesn't work. If you haven't got your feet dirty, uh, it's hard to <laughs> draw a house. This was 14 feet in the air with an elevator. And it was a weird house um, and probably impractical, but... So us as leaders, if, if you've walked the journey, you can actually lead a little better, right? If your feet are getting dirty and you're actually doing and practicing what you preach. Because men controlled by their fleshly desires and appetites have taken advantage of the role that God has called them to fulfill, people have lost a certain amount of respect for leadership. When you take advantage of your position that God has given you that's going to be to the people's detriment. I thought about a chorus director. A good chorus director, he's up there and he's leading and no one knows how much work he put into it, how many times he reviewed the music, how many times he helped one individual with their part, how many times they had a restart. The night of the chorus, the people, all they hear is the, the good sound coming to us. But somewhere behind the scenes, someone did a lot of work. That's how it's supposed to be. He doesn't need the attention. We don't need uh, a patting on the back. That's not what we're here for. We want something to work harmoniously. We want something to work together. 
Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Is there a chance that we don't like the word leadership because we don't like the word submit? Is there a possibility? Submit is doing what you want, don't want to do. If it wasn't submitting, it would be calling agreeing. If you agree with someone, you just go along with it. But if you submit, it's doing something that you might not fully agree with, but you're willing to submit your will on another's behalf. We have to be able to do that in the church. Claire's the bishop back at McDowell, but he submits to the other ministry within the church because we submit one to another. And we submit to him as well. <laughs> Just making that clear. Submit means to surrender, to give up what you feel are your rights. You know what the word rule means here. It says to lead with official authority. Your ministry was ordained by God and given the official responsibility to lead his people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that these men up here were ordained by God or do you think they just happen to fall into that lot? Because if you believe the latter, the lack of respect will be real. If you believe they just happen to be thrown into that position, then you probably won't respect them as you should. But if you truly believe from your heart that God ordained them to fill a specific role, then it will be much easier to submit to that role that God has asked them to fill. Matthew 8, starting at verse 5. I had to wonder, what is the key responsibility of a leader? And one of the key, I think there's many responsibilities, but I think one of the key responsibilities of a leader is to watch for the souls of whom God has placed in their care. As a father, that's your children. As a minister, that's your congregation. As a young person, that's the younger ones looking up to you and following you and looking at you as an example. And Well, if he thinks it's cool, I think it's cool. Matthew 8, starting at verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of palsy, grievous tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, and have soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. The leaders in your church are men under authority there's a vital important it's vitally important for us as leaders to remember that we are under authority whether it's in the home whether it's in the church whether it's on the job site you're a man under authority and one day you will give account for your actions for what you did for how you went about doing it we are accountable to someone when that gets taken away it falls apart and we become like that servant that thought the Lord was delaying his coming, and he began to beat his men servants and maid servants and, and 
drink and be merry and all these other things. When we forget that we are under authority, things go horribly off the tracks. When a leader forgets that he is a servant, it just causes mass chaos. Being under authority does not mean without authority. There is the authority. God's given and placed authority in each of our lives. Have you ever heard a little child maybe even tell you this? He says, you're not my daddy. You can't tell me what to do. (laughs) Where did he find that from? Is that ever our response to an older person that tells us something? Well, you're not my authority. You can't tell me what to do. The centurion told Jesus, even though he was a man under authority, he had authority where he could tell that soldier, go, and he goeth, to another come, and he cometh. He, had the, he was given the privilege of delegating responsibility and to bring proper discipline among his men. I'll ask a question. If children are a product of their home and a reflection of their parents, are members in the church a product of the church environment and a reflection of leadership? And if so, isn't that a sobering thought? It's a sobering thought to us as parents. What are our children reflecting when they get out and they're at the neighbor's house, when they're at school? The school teachers, they see things at school, and it's a reflection of what goes on at the home. 1 Peter 5.1 The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the power, and giveth grace to the humble. Talks about taking the oversight thereof. It means to oversee, to beware, to look diligently. What happens when something's amiss? What happens when a member in your congregation sounds the alarm that there's something not right? Do you listen? Are we as men doing our part? Are we doing it while being clothed in humility? And if I may take a brief rabbit trail here. I was thinking about clothing, and I was wondering, sometimes are us as men clothed with anything but a humility? Look at our attire. Look at the vehicles we drive. Look at our businesses. Look at our whatever it is. Is it a picture of humility or is it a picture of pride? Is it a picture of my stuff? Are we leading out an examples of modesty and separation as men? Our ladies look different 24-7. And then I have men come to me and say, well, it's just not very comfortable to work in a button-up shirt and a t-shirt. You know, there's too many layers. It's hot. Think your wife ever thinks about that when she's in the garden on the summer? Think it's nice to work with multiple layers on under the hot sun? Does your wife dress for comfort? Are we being leaders like God has told us to be? 
In the area of nonconformity, I don't think we do real well. If you can't even get a man to wear a suit to Sunday morning, is he being a leader in nonconformity in any other time? I wonder why it's so hard for us as men to put on a, suit, a plain suit to come to church. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers. And I think if you as a leader think you do have it all figured out, you're doomed for failure. Because I think God will show you otherwise. But I believe all the answers for us that we need are in God's Word. And we need to study it. We need to be faithful to what He reveals to us. Are you willing to submit to brothers within the church when it doesn't violate scriptures? I think if there's brothers in the church promoting stuff that violates scriptures, you have a different problem, right? Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. I believe there's false prophets amongst us. I don't know who they all are. I don't know what they necessarily look like. But I know there's wolves among us. And I've been warning our people, study the scriptures, know the scriptures, be in the scriptures. If I say something wrong, come to me after church and let me know, and let's make it right. I, sometimes I might say things that are wrong, and I want to know about it. I don't want to say something across the pulpit that is untrue or not scriptural. And so if I say anything this week, and you find it untrue or unscriptural, please come and talk to me, and, and I'll make it right in the next service. The problem is, these wolves don't look like wolves, they don't sound like wolves, they don't act like wolves, but when you see the sheep scattering, you know the wolves are in the midst. Have you seen any sheep scatter this last year? I've seen sheep scattering. I've seen sheep running here and there, trying out different places, not sure where they belong. I've seen that. So I know there's some wolves somewhere. I know there's people that are trying to draw other people astray. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. You know what the problem with examining fruit is? Fruit doesn't come ripe for a little bit. And so if we're waiting to examine the fruit, there's already damage happening within our midst. And you know there's brethren within your midst that see the writing on the wall, that can see what's happening in their midst, and they're sounding the alarm, we better be listening. Why wait till fruits are already ripe? Why wait till the damage is already done? When a brother in the church sees writing on the wall, we better be listening. We better be waking up. We better be understanding what's going on in our midst. There's brethren all over the place sounding the alarm, and we say, it don't really look that bad. I don't see it that way. I don't, I don't think we're doing, I think we're doing pretty good. We might be doing pretty good at the moment, but what direction are we heading in? Where are we going? And if there's someone sounding the alarm, 
we better wake up. Because when the fruit comes to fruition, by that time it's already too late. Our young people have already been damaged. Us, you know, the foundation might still be there, and what about the wreckage up above it? Is that what we want? A uh, few of us that, you know, maybe you older men are stable enough to, to make it through. But what about the young people that are building upon your foundation? Are they going to make it through? Is our next generation going to be with us? Or do we have nothing to build upon of any consequence? Romans 16, 7. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good works and fair speech deceive the hearts of the simple. You've seen that too, right? Good works and fair speech. It sounds so good. Sounds so easy. Sounds like it's a good plan. And they're deceiving the hearts of the simple. Christ must be the chief cornerstone, and everything must be built upon that cornerstone. If we're not building upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we might as well not be building at all. The foundation that we lay must be rooted and grounded in the word of God and in Christ or will not last the test of time. It will not last when the storms of life come beating against it. Psalm 11:3 says, If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What is there to build on? There is one foundation that, is, that does not move, and that is our Lord. But as fathers and leaders in the church, you're either adding to the stability of the foundation or you're undermining the foundation. You know what undermining means? It means to weaken. The action or process of lessening the effectiveness, the power, or the ability of someone or something to do something, especially gradually or insidiously. And I didn't even know what insidiously means. I can't barely say it. Gradual or subtle with harmful effects. So when there's undermining going on, so a little groundhog digs under the corner of your building. Oh, well, just one little hole, right? Well, what's he doing under there? You know, it, maybe he went out the other side, and then he forgot where he was, and he come in a different place. How much undermining is going on in our churches? And when is it going to have effect and the foundations are going to start to crack? Well, what causes undermining? What is undermining in our church? What are things that are going on in our midst that are weakening our foundation? Well, I'd have to say it's sin, right? If there's sin in our lives, and we're the foundation, we're weakening the rest of the foundation. If us as leaders are harboring sin in our life, then we're weakening the foundation of which the young people and our wives and other people are building upon. There's sins of omission, sins of not doing something as we should. Sin of not praying as we ought to. Not standing up or defending the truth when it's challenged. Not sharing Christ's love with others. The sin of not doing something. There's also deliberate sins. James 4.17, this is a sin of omission. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's simply, you knew what to do. You knew to do good and you did not do it. That's a sin. But then there's deliberate sin. We know something is sinful we choose to partake in it even though we know it is sin. The Bible calls this rebellion or transgression. So it's an act of deliberate sin. Maybe it's going against an established authority, whether it's God, a leader in the church, or even our secular government authority. 
when it does not violate Scripture. Your attitude of those in authority over you will be reflected in your congregation's attitude of your authority, of your children's attitude of your authority to you as a parent, your spouse's attitude to you as a leader within your home. Paul said, well, don't I have the power to lead about a wife? And he did, if he would have so chose. And so how are you leading? Maybe that's for you ladies. Are you allowing your husband to lead? Even though he's not doing a great job? (laughs) You're going to let him do it anyway? Well, you should. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. That's what you're called to do. You will note that rebellion and transgressions often follow an attitude of pride. Probably the sole most damaging sin that any man in our church can have is a sin of pride. Pride is considered to be one of the deadliest sins because it leads to all the other sins. It says, well, I'm better than what God said. I don't believe what he's saying. That's the attitude of pride. These verses kind of ruin the morning star for me, but we'll read them anyway. Isaiah 14, starting at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will extol my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell and to the sides of the pit. Do you know what the word Lucifer means? Light or morning star. When I do get up early in the morning, I like enjoying the morning star. I think it's over to the east. It's a bright star glowing there. Do you ever think of Satan when you see that thing? No, we think of God's beauty and his wonderful creation. At one point in time, Satan was a beautiful being, rejoicing in heaven, worshiping God. And then the pride got to him, and he said, I want to be in place of God, and I'm going to take over. And he was cast out of heaven. And when he got cast down to earth, he's been working in the hearts of men ever since to, you're pretty good. You know what you're doing. You should have some self-confidence. And so pride has entered in through the working of Satan. Every expression of pride is ugly, but it looks a lot worse than those who are called to be example of the flock of God. Pride makes one lose the ability to accept correction, admit to wrong, see sin for what it really is. Pride has driven more people out of the church than any sin that I can think of. You know why? Because God resisteth the proud. You're not only working against yourself and the church, you're working against God himself. God resisteth the proud. Be sober, be vigilant, because your devil as a, the devil as a roaring lion is walking around seeking whom he may devour. Satan loves nothing more than when he gets a leader to fall. But worse than a leader falling is a leader that will fight correction whether it's a father in the home or a leader in the church, it shows a lack of contrition, a lack of submission, and a lack of humility. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Contrite gives the idea of being crushed by the guilt of sin and turning to God in sorrow for their actions. If we would see more sorrow for sin we'd see a greater ability to forsake sin. Once we realized what sin does, what it destroys, 
we'd, we'd have a greater ability to forsake sin. Plato said, We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy in life is men who are afraid of the light. I thought that's a profound statement. <laughs> we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark, but the real tragedy in life is men who are afraid of the light. Are you afraid of the light as a leader? What if someone shone a light into your life and started looking around a little bit? Would you be a little nervous? What they might find in the back room, underneath what the facade of righteousness? <laughs> I was at Heritage Bible School, and the, the person there, he said, well, Dave, you look like a pretty good preacher. And it was great, because underneath I had this shirt that was all written, lust, pride, selfishness, anger, bitterness. And I took off my coat, and I said, well, how do I look now? And, you know, we can hide a lot behind the way we dress, the way we act, and, you know, put on a pretty good front to those around us. What's on the inside? What's in our heart? Ephesians 5, 6, Let no man deceive you by vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. There's another scripture that says, Be not partaker in another man's sin, keep thyself pure. What does it look like to partake in another man's sin? Does it mean to cover up their sin? To hide their sin? To be party with them? How much discord gets spread in a church because man got overtaken in a fault, and doesn't want to have to deal with his actions. Does that ever happen here? Where, well, they did it wrong. They, they didn't, the church leaders didn't go about it the right way. And instead of accepting the consequences for the actions, they say, well, that's not how they dealt with the other person's sin. If someone's saying, well, if that's not how they dealt with someone else's sin, are they sorrowful for their own sin? When someone comes to me and says, David... I see a fault in your life. And then I say, well, I see three faults in your life. So what is it? You know, is that how we respond? Is that how we think? And we don't respond that way, but that's what we're thinking. Or do we say, thanks for coming to me, brother. I needed it. We're in this together. I want to change. I'll do better. I was wrong. I am sorry. <laughs> I have to practice that sometimes. And, and it takes a little humility, especially when you don't think you're wrong. Or you didn't think you did anything wrong. I've been blessed recently by brothers that by all accounts have accepted correct, correction properly. They said, I, it's my fault. I'm sorry. I'll take responsibility for my actions. I will accept the correction whether I agree with it or not. That's a blessing. When members of the church tear down church leadership, they're hurting themselves. If you're tearing apart one another, you're hurting yourself. Imagine we're a body, right? And so if the foot says, I have no need of the hand, right? And, and it tears the hand apart, it, it hurt its own self. If we're fighting one of another, uh, it says, be careful that you be not devoured one of another. So if, if we're attacking each other, if we're tearing each other down, 
There's gonna, we're damaging ourselves. We're not helping ourselves. But we as leaders in our home and in the church have been called to be watchmen. If we are not standing for what we believe and shouting the alarm, the blood of those that we are responsible for will be on our hands. Someone shared, I don't know where it was, but they said, if you've been ordained into the ministry, you've lessened your chances of heaven by 50%. And I don't know if that's accurate, but it's a rather sobering thought. Because now you're not only responsible for yourself and your family, but you're responsible for the church of God over who he's given you responsibility to preach the gospel. And, and that scares me more than anything. Undisciplined homes lead to undisciplined churches. What makes up a church? Homes, youth, young people. If we're always late for church, if we can't maintain order within our house, there's a really good chance there won't be order within the church. Our churches are made up, members one of another. We'll just close in this, these verses that I already read, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for this is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. <clears throat> if, you want, if you have something in your life that you need to get rid of to be a better leader, whether it's a father, a youth, whatever it is, if you've been challenged, I'll even open up to you ladies if the Spirit convicted you of something. Let's have a verse of song. If you feel the Spirit speaking to you, just come forward this evening.